place in society is shifting. Uh, church kind of used to be right at the centre of society and it used to kind of set the agenda almost and now the church is being moving from the centre to the margins and it's having to learn what it means to actually uh, serve and be a blessing and share the gospel from a different position. Also used to just focus primarily on sending missionaries overseas as though Australia was a Christian nation and, and, and non-Christians lived overseas and now actually we see interesting things happening that Australia is definitely not a Christian nation and the mission field is all around us. But also what's really exciting is lots of people are coming from other nations and they're actually refreshing Christianity in this country. So the largest Baptist church in South Australia now is the Chin Church. And the Chin are a uh, uh, people group from uh, Burma, from uh, Myanmar. And that's our largest church now. So really fascinating things happening. Um, probably around 10% of the Baptist church now are Burmese, uh, Burmese folk. And so we see this wonderful... Uh, changes, but also challenging changes for churches. And it's an interesting time also, as I work with often a lot of smaller churches, a lot of smaller churches, are, are particularly with, since COVID hit, and that's impacted um, some churches' numbers or, or budgets, and, and a number of smaller churches are kind of going, what's our, what's our you know, do, are we even going to survive post-COVID? And they're challenged by that. And I think that um, this passage I'm going to read from Mark and the sermon I'm going to preach, I hope actually speaks into it. I'll just look it up on my uh, Bible on my phone. Um, this passage is, uh, is known as the loaves and the fishes. It's uh, a passage that if you've been around church at all, you, you may well have heard. And, um, uh, but it's, uh, I hope you hear it with fresh eyes this morning. Let me read this to you. Uh, the preceding part of this story is that the disciples have been sent out and they've been sent out in pairs to go and share the gospel and to pray for people's healing and they've returned back and they're excited and it says this, verse uh, 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Who would love to have some rest in their lives? Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they landed, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away to the country, sorry, so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two small fish or two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. 
They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Let me pray and we'll get into this story. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, thanking you for every person who's here, part of this service, and praying that your blessing will be upon them, that you would, we would all hear what you have to say to us. So the story, as I said before this, is this uh, in the narrative, is this story where they've, they've gone out and they've been sharing the good news and he sent them out in pairs and they've travelled. And so you've got to understand, like, the disciples were, were these 12 guys who followed Jesus. They followed Jesus around and he did the teaching and he did the miracles and he prayed and the disciples just watched and learnt and watched and learnt. But now Jesus said, right, okay, it's your time. It's your turn to have a go. It's kind of like an apprenticeship model. You've been watching and learning. Now I'm sending you out. Out you go. Preach, heal, pray for people, and uh, they go out and do that. And then they return, and they're, they're super excited. They've done some amazing things. In fact, when he sent them out, he gave them this incredible challenge. He said, take nothing for the journey, no food, no bag, and no money. Right? So they've gone out with nothing. I don't know about you. When I go on a holiday... I pack everything, right? I'm checking everything. You know, I've, I've got to make sure I've got everything packed. Just before I leave, I check 10 times. I've got my wallet and my passport and my AirPods, all the vital things. Um, so out they go, and they come back. They're super excited, but they're also exhausted. Um, I don't know if you've been on a, a camp where you go out. You, it's been really great, but you get home and you're exhausted. Anyone been in that sort of situation? yes. And that's, that's the situation they're in. I remember once that happened to me, I came home from a camp. I was super, it had been great, but I was really, really exhausted. I don't know if you remember this, uh, my wife's here. Um, I was locked out of the house and you'd gone out. And uh, I had to sit outside for an hour and a half and it was really cold. So I sat in my sleeping bag. That's kind of how the disciples are feeling right now. That, how I was feeling in that moment. Like, I'd like a shower, I'd like a rest, um, but what happens is all these people um, see where they're heading and run after them. And when they land, there's this huge crowd there. How would you feel if you're a disciple in that moment? You'd just be going, oh, come on, I just need a break. I'm just done. I just need some space. I just need a rest. And I think there's so much to learn, we can learn from Jesus in the way he responds compared to how the disciples responds. Verse 34 says, When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. Let's get the wording right. He saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus landed and saw a large, large crowd. There's two words here that stick out to me. The first is compassion. But actually the, word that, that, that the bit that stands out to me as I prepared this message was that he saw them. He saw them. And I wonder, do you see people? Do you see people? Like, we all see people, okay? You know what I mean? But there's something but difference between seeing people and actually seeing people. It's easy to go through life and be really busy and you're rushing here and there and you never actually take the time to see people. And I think God puts people in front of us who he wants to see. 
right? Like, like I've been a, a, an assistant football coach. I didn't do it this year, but I've, for the past five, six, seven years, I've been an assistant football coach with three or four other blokes, and I've got to know them a little bit. There's always this question about, do I, do I just sort of see them and know that they're there and we, we do, do football coaching together, or do I actually see them and actually get to know them in a deeper sense? You know, Jesus had this wonderful way of seeing people, right? He's walking along one day, and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, right? There's all these people around, but he sees him. He says, come down, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to lunch at your house. Another time, there's a, a, a huge crowd pressing in, and there's a woman there who's had this terrible affliction of, of bleeding for, for, for many, many years, and she touches his cloak thinking she could be filled, and he stops, and he's like, who touched my cloak? And they said, there's so many people touching you. He said, no, no, someone touched my cloak. And he turns and he sees this woman. And, uh, and he heals her. He had this wonderful way of seeing people. And I guess um, I want to encourage you today that Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. When, I, when he sees you, he really sees you. He sees your story. He sees your struggles. He sees your longings, your spiritual longings, the desires of your heart, and he sees you. Isn't that the most beautiful thing? That we know that's true for us as it was for these people, he sees you. And Jesus calls us to see people. And he, has, he doesn't just see them, he then has compassion on them. He doesn't turn them away and say, okay, thanks for coming out, but we need a break. His compassion overrules his tiredness. I think if the disciples were in charge, probably their tiredness would have overruled their any sense of compassion. But in this case, Jesus' compassion overrules his tiredness. So that sets the scene for what happens next. Um, what happens next is uh, Jesus starts teaching them. He's probably teaching them over a couple of hours. It's not just like monologue. He's discussing with them. It's back and forth. There's conversation. Uh, he's teaching. They're listening. They're asking questions. But now it starts to get pretty late. The disciples are already tired. And now the disciples, you could just imagine, they start sort of whispering to each other, when's this going to end? When are these people going to go? It's getting pretty late. And i got to say... In everything the disciples do here, because they come to him and they, they say, Jesus, you know, time to go, time to finish up, time to send the people away, it's getting late. And uh, I totally am with the disciples here. I am so like the disciples. I am a pragmatic person, right? I am a kind of like, let's think about the time, let's think about the numbers. Anyone in the same boat as me? Some of you here are just wonderful, like, let's just have faith and it's all going to be good. Yeah, I can be, I'm a very pragmatic person. I'm like, there's a lot of people here, it's getting late, let's send them away, Jesus, you know. <laughs> Jesus, listen to me, I've got the way things should be done here, you know. And then Jesus just makes this ridiculous, ridiculous comment, you give them something to eat. 5,000 people, they got no food with them, Jesus I'm sure knows this, uh, you give them something to eat. So they hunt around and uh, firstly, they, they, they sort of try to explain the situation. It would take more than half a year's wages to feed all these people, possibly an exaggeration. I don't know how much it costs to feed 5,000 people. I haven't done the maths. Um, but then he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So they go and they look and they come back and they discover that amongst the crowd, there's, there's these five small loaves of bread and, and two fish. If you read some, the other versions in the other um, Gospels, you'll discover that they commandeered some poor kid's lunch. Um, 
And uh, that's what they've got to, to, to do. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You know, it's really interesting here is that the disciples have just come out of a time when they have been praying and seeing God do incredible miracles through them. And the whole time they've been with Jesus, Jesus has been doing incredible miracles. But here, the disciples have got no confidence or belief. They don't even think that a miracle could happen. They're thinking pragmatically. And um, God's people do that right throughout history. God does, I could take you through story after story, God does incredible miracles and then the people are like, oh no, you know, God leads them out of Egypt miraculously into the desert and they get to the desert and they're like, oh great, thanks for bringing us to the desert. We're going to die in the desert because we've got no food. So we see this story repeated throughout history. But, um, but Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And, um, and then he has the people, he, he, he gives directions, and he has them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and he gives them the bread, and he gives them the fish, and he instructs them. And Jesus doesn't hand out the food himself. He actually gets them to do it. So they get this kind of, what he's doing is he invites them into what he is doing. That is what Jesus does for us. He invites us into what he is doing. And as a church, sometimes we get that around the wrong way because we want to invite Jesus into what we are doing. But actually what happens here is if we understand, if we discern and hear God's voice, we actually see that, that, that Jesus is inviting us into what he is doing. Because God is actually already at work in this world, in this city, in this neighborhood, in the street that you live in. God is actually at work and he wants to invite you into what he is doing, which is just a different way of looking at things. So the disciples, um, but the disciples stick with pragmatism. They're like, you know, uh, originally they're, they're sort of it won't happen, but then they actually start to step out. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here is five loaves is not enough to feed 5,000 people. That's the first thing. It's pretty obvious. Second thing is, if you read another book of, the, of, uh, of the, another, another, this story in another gospel, what they actually give out is barley loaves. Now, barley loaves is essentially poor man's food, okay? So if you want to make good bread, you use wheat, okay? But in Jesus' time, the poorer people couldn't afford wheat, which was a more refined flavor and better, better, made better bread. So they would use barley, so they're just using these little loaves. So you've got tired people with very little using the poorest of the kind of poor man's food. And it's what Jesus does with that is he uses that for the miracle. I think what Jesus is going to try to remind us here over and over is that it's not about what we have, but it's about what he can do through us. It's about him and not about us. Most of my ministry, most of my life in ministry, I've felt like I've over, I'm over my head, okay? So I, I've never gone through my life in ministry thinking, I am such an amazing pastor and I've got this. I've always felt like God has put me in situations where I am over my head. I started out youth leading. I had no idea how to be a youth leader, Right? I met one of my youth a few years ago, and I'm like, I just want to apologize for being such a bad youth leader. I had no idea what I was doing. He's like, no, you were kind of influential, and, and he's still a Christian. I'm like, wow, that's a miracle. Um, and then 
I got invited to become a pastor. I had done no Bible college training because I was about to start Bible college training. My church asked me to become a pastor several days a week, youth, young, adult pastor. I started out, I literally went to the Christian bookstore, Kurong, and bought a book on how to be a youth pastor. It was your first two years in youth ministry was the name of the book. And I just read that book. Okay, this is what I do. And then went and tried to do that. I had no idea what I was doing. I was in over my head. And then I, we sort of did this life church thing and I was in over my head with that. I really didn't know what I was doing and how to do a church that was a church plant but sort of wasn't. And um, I didn't even know what it was, let alone what I was doing. And then I went up to Allgate and then I was a pastor of a church of a bit bigger, you know, sort of 200, 250 people, something like that, when I got there and I thought, I think I can handle this. I think I'm ready for this. But pretty quickly... Allgate became 500 people, and then we church planted, and it became 1,000 people. And the whole time, it was kind of like I was the image I would use is like when someone's surfing and they start out surfing, and it's like a little two foot wave, and it's actually quite relaxing. And then you see people surfing waves that are over their head, and you think if, they, if the wave crashes and they fall off, it's going to hurt a little bit. And then you see those big wave surfers surfing those enormous waves. And that's what it felt like me to be doing ministry a fair bit of the time. I thought, I'm in over my head here. I don't know what I'm doing. But actually, when we're in that place is when God perhaps can use us the most. When we think, I can't do this. And God reminds us that, no, you can't. (laughs) But he can through us. There's an interesting story in the history of Baptist mission that actually in 1888, I think was the year, this organisation called Australian Baptist Mission or Baptist Mission Australia because it's changed its name several times. It formed and it formed around Australia and each state had a little outpost. But you know the first uh, significant missionaries that went away, they became sort of legendary. Um, There was five people sent away. What's really interesting about these five people is that they were sent from Adelaide. The first missionaries went out from Adelaide. There was five of them and they were women. Five single women in the late 1800s got on a boat and went to India to be missionaries. And the Sunday that they, before they left, uh, their commissioning service was at Flinders Street Baptist Church and they preached from this passage. And the, these women became known as the five barley loaves. You got on the boat and mission... Mission, being a missionary then was not like fly back every couple of years for a break. It was go on a boat and you'll go there and you'll die in India. You'll live there and you'll die. Sometimes missionaries would go out in those early days. They would pack all of their belongings in their coffin because they were going to spend the rest of their life there. These five women, the five barley loaves, single, young women, just going by faith, believing God could do something amazing through them. I think the church needs to rediscover what it means to live by faith. To live by faith, to walk by faith and not by sight. I think we've become far too pragmatic. We've become far too kind of uh, self-reliant. And I think we need to discover a kind of ridiculous faith that believes that God can do miracles in our time. That God could take a few loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people in our time. That God could work through a small church and do amazing things. You see, a lot, of, um, a lot of smaller churches, I discover, they look at bigger churches and they think, 
you know, we, we can't really do much because we're only 30 or 40 people or 50 people. And, you know, it's almost like we'd need to be 200 and, to do this. Read the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the church has met in people's homes, churches of 20 or 30 or 40 people. No pastor, no budget, no building. And it was those kinds of churches that turned the world upside down and the church never, ever grew faster in history than it did in those first few hundred years with small numbers of people just living by faith. Jesus doesn't need much from us. Jesus doesn't need much. But Jesus can do wonderful things through us and it's his desire to be a blessing through us. Let me come back as I finish up to the central moment. When Jesus takes this bread and he holds it up and he blesses it, it says, and then he broke it and then he gave it to his disciples. He blessed it and he broke it and then he gave it. What does that remind you of? Communion. It's what we do in communion. But what we're remembering in communion is that's what happened to Jesus. Jesus at his baptism was blessed but then on the cross, Jesus was broken, and then Jesus was given. And Jesus' disciples, what happened to them? They came to this relationship called to follow Jesus, and they were so blessed to journey with Jesus, but then they were broken as they realized their flaws and as they um, fled from Jesus when he was arrested. They were blessed, they were broken, but then the Spirit came and they were re- reunited with Jesus, and they were given out to the world. And, you know, that's exactly what God wants to do with us. He blesses us, and then in our lives, we often go through this time where we're broken, and it's, but it's actually often in the time when we're broken that we actually realize that we need God and that we can't do it without God. And when we are experience that, then we're given out to the world, blessed and broken and given. Jesus invites you this week, this year, today, to be part of what he is doing. And he wants to be part of your life afresh. And he wants us to be dependent on him and to have a kind of a crazy amount or just a little amount of crazy faith or a crazy amount of little faith. (laughs) And he can work through that and do amazing things. How many loaves do you have? We don't need much. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would remind us through this passage that it's actually not about us and that you are a great and powerful and mighty God, a compassionate and loving God, that you actually want to work through us to be a blessing. Uh, You want to bless us but then work through us to be a blessing to others. I want to pray a blessing upon this church, particularly in this season without a pastor, as they go through pastoral search. May you continue to work through them. Give them faith, not in themselves, but in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.